Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Millions of Screens, and IRS TV industry-focused podcast. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by a TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. That's right, we're all practicing social distancing and are self-quarantined in our homes. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the somewhat obvious spike in streaming, based on some numbers HBO churned out, the state of Emmy season, and how various shows are dealing with the lack of finales. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that all that follows is somewhat trivial, but it's helpful to keep our minds off the seriousness of the growing pandemic. It's all we could do. I mean, I need TV right now more than ever, even if it's slowly killing my brain cells. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm real sad, guys. It is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Ben, HBO released some streaming data. Can it be trusted first foremost? Can it be trusted? I mean, no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same as uh, same situation as Netflix when they choose to release data that is uh, not verified by a third party or anyone other than themselves. Um, so not only do they control the information itself, but they control the presentation of the information and the analysis uh, that comes out of it. But essentially, they, they, they're saying that with everyone sort of shelter in place, streaming has obviously seen an uptick and there's been a rise across the board in HBO now streaming. Yeah, and that's that's kind of why it feels safe to talk about it or at least to discuss uh, some of the details within their, their their release because it's basically telling us what we've known or expected since uh, a lot of the the stay-at-home orders began um and they they top line it by saying uh usage levels for hbo now since saturday march 15th or march 14th are the highest we've seen on the platform since last summer uh time spent on the platform was up over 40 percent from its four-week average during that time um and then they move on to some other stuff that's fairly obvious uh they claim that westworld uh has gotten a significant bump during this time, uh, or at least more than what they expected in terms of its its audience, even though the audience reported for the premiere was pretty low. Um, and plenty of other recent hits like Big Little Lies and Chernobyl and Game of Thrones or some of their bigger shows like His Dark Materials are also seeing uh, increase in viewership. But what gets interesting to me is, is that um, a lot of their older shows do too. A lot of the stuff that's not being publicized or actively you know, campaign for right now. Uh, they said that The Wire has nearly tripled its audience. Uh, both Sex and the City and The Sopranos have nearly doubled their audience. Um, and honestly, <laughs> I mean, I think those shows are so well known that people who either have already seen them would just want to start binging again, or if you'd never seen them, now is the time to watch it, as so many sites have ad- advocated for. Um, as people on the internet, we can probably try to take credit for this and say, hey, we had all these lists and tweets about what you should be watching right now, and you dug deep and you listened to them, and you're welcome, HBO, for all of these extra viewers for The Wire. Um, but I don't know if that's accurate. 
Do we have a okay. list of the wires on the top of? I think it's on the top of our HBO original series list. Is it not? I'm going to go check right now. Did the leftovers beat it? <laughs> <laughs> Get the leftovers numbers. Find out if any of it is because of the 2% number, because that feels like the greatest selling point at this point. Gut feeling. Do you think it's more people rewatching, or do you think people are like, well, I'm never going to have more time to watch The Wire than right now? Now's the time. Yeah. Uh, my, my gut, and this is probably a biased take as a, as a television uh, person slash consumer 24-7, 365, my gut is that it's a rewatch. I almost oh, yeah. feel like it's um, like all those like it's the go to joke whenever somebody says, you know, I'm so ashamed I've never watched X show. It's the wire. And by now, yeah. I think people have watched it if they're ever going to watch it. And then now they're just going back to rewatch it because it's it's a very easy show to fall into. If you bet money that the wire was number one on our list, you're right. 2017. We need to update this sucker. Now that uh, we've yes. all come, now that we've given the leftovers a long enough berth, we can bring it back to the number one slot. I don't know what else you'd add to this. Uh, Sopranos is two, Larry Sanders is three, Band of Brothers is four, and The Leftovers is five. Yeah, they didn't listen to me on that list. Sex in the City is seven, and Veep is six. It's so hard to keep recency bias in check when making those lists. Like, I don't know. Um, and I have actually not seen enough Larry Sanders to, I've heard. What I've seen, I've loved, and and I know it has only a great legacy, but, like, it's so hard to compare to those things. Like, we've lived and loved, some of us, Veep for the last however many years, and trying to view it in the larger scope of, like, the HBO dramas, and I don't know. It's very strange. I will say there's a noticeable gap in my TV viewing life without Veep. Like, I, I actually feel it like feel its absence more than I've felt other shows, which is, uh, I guess, credit to that accomplishment. But uh, So Libby, FYC season has definitely been put on hold. And there's been some calls from studios. Should we push, you know, these various Emmy events back? There's been talk about pushing the actual award ceremony back. What's the latest that you're sort of, sort of been hearing? So as of, as of um, Monday, the industry uh, heads of heads of industry across television went to the TV Academy to ask them to reconsider uh, what FYC season looks like. They were talking, they were, there were, was talks of trying to um, make it less time between round one and round two voting, trying to allow for more FYCs, uh, to take place in phase two, which is during like the second round of voting um, or before the second round of voting begins. Um, they they want to make sure they get time enough to sell their product to um, members of the TV Academy. That seems to be their main concern. However, it feels, again, a little premature because... I really don't think the Academy is going to announce further changes until it has some idea of what the timeline is they're working with. I really don't see them coming out and announcing like piecemeal changes in the nomination system until they've decided if they're going to push the ceremony, if they're going to push the eligibility period, if they're going to push everything back, if they're going to postpone things. 
and then try to reimagine things. It's just there are a lot of balls up in the air and I'm not sure in what order they land. And I think at this point they aren't either. Um, so right now as we stand, it's the end of March. Um, we should theoretically have two full, uh, two more full months of eligibility for uh, the 2019-2020 Emmy season. However, or uh, sorry, TV season, however, Everything's in shutdown right now. Um, I don't know if they'll go ahead with, uh, with, with a group of nominees that are dealing with only basically nine months worth of submissions. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. They don't know what it looks like. And until the TV Academy decides how they're going to move forward, even if it's just, okay, we're the Emmys, the September Emmys are indefinitely postponed. The eligibility period ending is indefinitely postponed. Like, until they say something, nothing else come becomes clear, I guess. And they're, and the thought is they're just holding until so that they're just not pushing things back like four weeks and then having to push things back another four weeks. They want to, whenever they do make a call, it's going to be definitive. That's my feeling. I They don't feel like an organization let's let's talk about okay so um on september when when 9-11 happened um the emmys were pushed back a month and um at that point in time the war in afghanistan started so they pushed it back another month like that's not something i see them wanting to do especially because we're not just talking about a singular award show date like you're seeing with other things like when the tonys are postponed we're talking about the entire awards season um the fact that it hasn't concluded yet (laughs) means that they can still play around with when it concludes and then when it starts and when all those dates change in fact they're in the television academy i think is in a much more difficult place than uh a lot of a lot of things out there like obviously delaying coachella or something is a big deal but say what you will that's just two weekends of something happening the tv academy is trying to figure out what to do with like six months of things that's six months of schedule that they need to restructure and it's not even like a sports season where it's like everyone's paused here and now everyone will start again then um it's a huge headache and i i don't blame them for taking their time and figuring out what it's going to look like. And I don't blame um, networks or studios or, or distributors for wanting and needing answers so they can make their plans accordingly. It's just, it's a, it's a mess right now. And uh, I don't know when we see concrete answers then. Libby, I have a question for you and I want you to give me like a, like a percentage. Actually, it's more of a theory. <laughs> this is the worst audience ter- audience kind of Q and a that's happening. Um, I have more of a theory. You give me a percentage of, of how likely it is this pans out. So the Emmys at their, their telecast date, their ceremony date uh, was always determined because it was, it was based on the, on the, you know, fall and spring TV schedules. It was there to launch the fall season or help launch shows that were premiering around that same time in September. Um, now that the fall season is pretty much screwed, uh, a lot of the pilots are shut down. Um, a lot of the premiere dates are going to be pushed back. You know, nothing can get 
setups like it normally would uh, in time to premiere in September. Uh, that's at least what we're expecting right now. Um, could the Emmys use this as an opportunity to forever move their ceremony date so that it coincided with the calendar year now that the television year is kind of moot anyway? Now that we don't really, like, there's so many streaming shows, so many cable shows, everything's launching all the time. Um, perhaps now they could just uh, abide by logic and stop confusing people in terms of when the eligibility period is and just be like, the eligibility period is the year. It's the calendar year. Just go with that and we'll have our ceremony in January. Ben, I wish this was true. Like, I, w- I got... <laughs> and, and honestly, if you think about it, it's the perfect opportunity to do that because to ever switch that calendar, they're going to have to have an 18-month eligibility period at some juncture. Why not now? Um... The reality of the situation is that it, you know, things are things are fucked right now, and um, <laughs> and and in a lot of ways, they are, have already made the most of this situation by moving FYC or theoretically moving for your consideration events to live streaming models, to um, pre-recorded models without an audience, to. Um, more embrace that digital lifestyle and so i think it's only natural to at least seriously consider switching its model now one of the concerns with that is that it will put emmy season and oscar season as full-on contemporaries and honestly who has that much money other than netflix um but mostly just netflix but that well an apple um the other thing is how much ad space is there there are a lot of like interior questions about um how you spend your money where you can spend it uh if you're overwhelming the market but it would make it much easier in a lot of ways and and it would make those uh sort of year-end guild awards mean a lot more if if you were able to look at the years the way that the emmys is it would it would lend itself so strongly to turning any season into an event like Oscar season. That said, they're never going to do it. They're never going to get it up, give it up. They're never going to want to look like the sideshow to the Oscars main stage, um, no matter how much we wish they would. Uh, but if it was ever going to happen, it would be happening now. So maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe that's what they're working out. Maybe, maybe they just maybe, maybe. just just try it out this year. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it works, and uh, if it completely fucks over every industrial machination that's set up already, then you yeah. know, they'll go back. But no, I, yeah. I everything you said because is exactly economies... why it's, it's not going to happen. Obviously, the specter of the of the coronavirus is sort of hanging over. The entire industry, it's affected, you know, the first two items in the clicker. Streaming is up across the board. The Emmy schedule thrown in flux. Everyone is sitting in front of their televisions watching cable news uh, 24 hours a day. But what are sort of the long-reaching effects of this stoppage? We talked a little bit about it last week. The idea that something like Supernatural won't get a chance to air its series finale or shoot and air its series finale the way it was originally planning. But something like This Is Us, which aired its finale last night, they got their production wrapped and got everything done. So they was, it was able to end their season the way they saw fit. And so I guess opening up to the two of you, what are 
some of the finales that we aren't going to get and how does it affect those series moving forward? Let me just say with This Is Us... Or, Ben, premier, th- premieres we're not going to get. Well, exactly. I think I think that's kind of the case. Like, with This Is Us and um, something like Modern Family, um, even, some, even a new show like Stumptown, um, they completed their production and are airing their finales as scheduled. So to the, you know, just average person at home watching... They may think, okay, well, they got it in, they got done, production stopped, but production was going to stop anyway because, um, because they they reached that point in their season. Uh, so the next season won't be affected. Like unless it's a really long term production stop, then everything's going to be fine for the shows that have already ended. And um, that's just not the case. I mean, not only do we not know exactly when productions will be able to start, you know, ramping up. And, you know, how many writers' rooms are being able to be conducted virtually. Uh, we've seen, you know, a number trying to do that already. And, and uh, I'm sure there's some that are more successful than others and some that, you know, just aren't really feasible. Um, so we just don't really know when they'll come back. So This Is Us did get to air season four uh, according to plan, but we have no idea when season five is going to come back. And the same is true for, I mean, Modern Family's over, but for shows that have second seasons coming out i feel like it's even more important for that to be a relatively quick follow-up and this uh you know this shutdown is going to make that a bigger challenge for them to remind people that they exist to remind people that they like them to remind them of what schedule they're normally on um so like i'm really excited that stumptown ended as it did it was a great first season no idea when season two will be rolling back out and that's a really scary kind of new state of the world for things I mean, if there's any, because I, I th- the way that I link this in my head is the the distance between Westworld season one and season two is definitely something that affected at least my personal fandom of the show is that it took so long between seasons that by the time season two premiered, I was like, I don't remember why I care about this. And I think for a lot of the shows that you, you've mentioned or that you, you wrote down, like if they do have a year and a half sort of, or a year... Well, I think with Westworld in particular, those long delays are more of a problem, if only because, like you said, a lot of Westworld is just understanding what's going on. Um, And, you know, the more you let that linger in the back of your head and the more confused you get, the worse it's going to, like, the harder it's going to be to jump back in. Um, But it's still the same kind of idea with everything else, because no matter who you are these days, everybody's kind of tuned into this immediate satisfaction or at least their you know expected schedule so as soon as something starts broaching the typical timeline if it's not turned around in a year people start asking questions people start worrying if it's canceled a lot more searches are being done online for show title plus cancellation because people are just wondering like did it go away is it ever coming back i don't understand you know why it's taking so long so um so that's been that's been a, a, a big consideration for a lot of these things and, and just another big question mark for the industry in terms of how they navigate uh, returns. I still don't understand how Netflix didn't just shoot three seasons of The Witcher back to back to back because they knew it was going to be a hit from the jump. <laughs> well, they, uh, I'm sure they wanted to now. I'm sure hindsight is twenty twenty, and uh, they would have loved to get that done. Lord of the Rings was trying to. Amazon was trying to get two of those seasons under under wraps before, you know, as, as soon as they could uh, in one go, and that didn't work out either. Do you think that Do you think that that is harder on shows that are on broadcast than it is 
for cable, are we conditioned to accept longer delays on cable shows and and shorter delays in broadcast because it's theoretically still sticking to the traditional model? Um, I think there's, I think there may, I think that might have used to be the case, and I don't feel like it is anymore. Um, I feel like there's, there's just not as much of a distinction between broadcast and cable and streaming as there used to be because so many people end up watching all the shows on the same platform like i watch Stumptown right. on hulu and right, right. uh i'm very happy that there's 18 episodes of it and i think that can be really helpful right now for some broadcast shows just because people will want to dig into those longer programs and also value the longer programs uh because you know broadcast is the one pumping them out sure. uh but no i i don't know if they I don't know if it matters in terms of what uh, channel they're on anymore. The only thing that I would say is anything that's an anthology-based, I think gets a little more leeway. Like, people are excited for Fargo to come back whenever it comes back. People are excited for even something like Curb Your Enthusiasm because it's Larry David. They're just like, well, we know what this is going to be. We know the feeling, but we also know they're going to give us a fairly complete story. And when they give us the complete story, that's great. The problem they run into or shows run into is if they're in the middle of a story or they're using their finale to kickstart the next season and then you get that kind of whiplash of like, oh, I'm getting into it. And then there's no return of that. There's no way to right. actually keep going. So Right. Ben, you listed sort of that This Is Us was the best case scenario for TV. And, then, and we had some other shows sort of listed out. Obviously, I think on this spectrum something like Supernatural not being able to shoot its series finale is at, you know, the reverse uh, end of that spectrum. What else, like in these other shows, Walking Dead, uh, The Good Fight, Superstore, we talked a little bit about last week, uh, and you you wrote Snowpiercer on here. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the apparently they were still shooting that. continuing trials of Snowpiercer. <laughs> I want a Whoever. documentary about the making of Snowpiercer the show, because that sounds... <laughs> heartbreaking yeah, you know, probably I, I think they should just if if somebody was prescient enough to just follow bong from like the moment he made snowpiercer and then like transition through parasite into the tv show and just give us a whole thing that would be the most popular show and probably the best documentary of all time um oh that would no, been, that I would s- be a great documentary because you'd also get him fighting with weinstein about keeping the fish in the in the movie that that would be uh an incredible documentary pitch it go back in time and pitch it <laughs> yeah sure I'm, I'm, I mean, we, uh, but no the the um the biggest trials and tribulations for the ongoing shows that aren't going to be able to their air their finales is kind of how they're going to get that story out there and i think the walking dead is an interesting example um if only because the only episode they're not going to air this season is their finale they got everything else done they're planning on airing the two leading up to the finale and then i believe the press release uh when they announced that they that the finale didn't get finished said that they would launch the finale as kind of a standalone event night of television later on and i would guess that that's because they also still need to launch their walking dead spinoff which wasn't done and thus got delayed um and they were banking on using the walking dead finale to help launch the new show because that just makes sense uh and they might still try to do that they might still need uh you know to get those those guaranteed viewers 
hooked on to a new program uh, in the same universe by by launching them together but there's so many other shows that are going to have to figure out how to do that um just from a structural standpoint because you know all the writers mapped out these arcs long ago like they're they they map out season and episodic arcs so specifically and then the networks use those uh to kind of you know bank and schedule their own content and uh tell a cohesive story and i feel like something like superstore as as libby talked about last week with uh america ferrera getting ready to move on if they've got to save that finale for a different time that's going to be strange like on the one hand you could argue that so long as uh america ferrera is under contract and or and or willing to come back for the finale uh, then it could help them in the sense that anybody who was like, okay, I'm done with Superstore now that America's left. Uh, oh, but there's another episode right now. I guess I'll check it out and see what it's like. Maybe that helps as opposed to having that delay where they're able to separate and then just stay gone. Um, but it can also just be a real, you know, legal slash contractual clusterfuck where you don't know who you have available and how and when and uh, how it's going to air and how it's going to tie into the next thing and if it's ending something or setting something up or both. Um, and, you know, that's this is just unprecedented territory and writers are adaptable, but with the looming writer's strike coming up anyway, it's just, it's so much that we don't know about how and when these are going to get worked on that it presents a, a real challenge <laughs> For people to just stay invested in the story it's i'm very envious actually now of of i believe libby your ongoing practice of just not watching the ending like the last episode of really yeah. good shows because now it yeah. seems like ooh, maybe i should just maybe i should just stop right now and then i'll start up once they figure it all out like yeah. not not keep going until they say it's over but i'll say it's over right now and then just wait it's it's interesting to me because The Walking Dead feels like a show uniquely primed to have just a standalone finale uh, air like in the middle of summer. It's just like, oh yeah, here's the finale to that season and people will tune in because it's kind of a, an amuse-bouche that they can consume between this uh, interrupted season and then whenever they, they move on to the next season. But uh, I don't know. I think the shows like Superstore are may less so supernatural or at a at a, a distinct disadvantage when it comes to that. No, no, no. I mean, just just to kind of tack on uh, when talking about Snowpiercer, obviously there's been so many you know switches and delays and and um, you know reconstructions and refigurements and and all these issues going on with Snowpiercer. Um, but one of the things that always that seemed smart to me, at least in terms of their original plan to release on May 31st, was that that would be coming off the back of a big March Madness campaign that largely ran through Turner. And that would give, you know, a bunch, a, a huge audience, constant previews and constant reminders of what Snowpiercer is. They could have even, you know, teed up the first episode to premiere after the, the championship game or one of the final four contests or whatever the last thing they had rights to was in order to kind of boost the awareness for that show. And that's something that we've seen become a, a very prominent tactic across television, using sports to kind of promote other programming that's on your network. And those sports are gone. Like there might be another TNT opportunity later on whenever, you know, the, the professional leagues and the college leagues get their, their shit back together. Um, 
but like there isn't going to be a March Madness redo in September for them to launch Snowpiercer off of. So they're going to have to figure out other ways to market that and make sure that people are aware. And that's, um, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to do, especially now when there's so much content available. I would just like to point out to people who have maybe not been following the Snowpiercer TV show drama as closely as we have, that Ooh. that is a series that was ordered to pilot in November 2016. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, yep. yeah. Ordered to pilot. So, happy well first before. term. <laughs> happy first term to. Uh, to uh, Snowpiercer uh, pre-production and production. Oh, I was gonna say a, a, a child, a child born the day that uh, it was ordered to pilot or series. Uh, well, it's probably gonna be four years old by the time it comes out. A child, a yeah. child born the day that was ordered to pilot uh, might be old enough to watch and appreciate Snowpiercer by the time it comes out. Mm-hmm. So. Libby, this is a perfect time to ask. Do you have? I mean, do you have a show on Quibi yet? Well, I mean, they, have you they received? Sent, I got, I got, I didn't get the screeners. I got the email about the screeners, but I haven't. I did I, not even. I think they're, I think they're uh, blackballing me because I didn't even get the email about Quibi screeners coming. So uh, I, I think maybe, maybe oh, they have. Are beef they listening? They might be listening. No, maybe. No, they're, they're treating you as a creator now. Like it's just like when we talk to talent and we've seen the show and they're like, I haven't been able to see it yet. That's mm. you now. Like they yeah. they know your show's coming, so they're not sending out the rest of their shit. Alright, yeah. I'll read the outro now. Here we go. <laughs> God, I hope see- that stays in. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video of York talking about TV and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Editor-in-Chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So please leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. (laughs) Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.